Welcome to Tech Law Chat, our series of Coffee Break podcasts from Four Pump Court. I'm Matthew Levy. And I'm Ian Munro. Today's topic is autonomous vehicles. This is technology that's fast advancing, and we're on the cusp of it becoming a very significant feature of our lives. Ian, what's the scenario? For this episode only, we're going to imagine we're a couple of years ahead of time. It's summer 2023. And on these assumed facts, an autonomous vehicle is driving in a built-up area with a speed limit of 30 miles per hour. It suddenly accelerated, reaching a top speed of 70 miles per hour. A pedestrian stepped out between parked cars, and at that speed, the stopping distance was too great to avoid a collision. If the car had been well within the speed limit of 30 miles per hour, it's clear that the accident would have been avoided. So what made it accelerate like that? The driver did not know what was happening. However, initial investigations suggest that a digital advertising sign had been showing something innocuous until it flashed up what the car would perceive to be a speed limit sign of 70 miles per hour and the car accelerated in response. Ooh, so the advertising signage had been hacked? Yes. And in these unfortunate circumstances, I act for the insurer of the hypothetical driver. Although, in the scenario, they weren't driving at all. The vehicle was. There's a classification system for autonomous vehicles from the Society of Automotive Engineers. Where was the vehicle on that classification system? It's a level three, meaning conditional driving automation. And that means that the car carries out most of the driving in familiar conditions. But the human needs to be ready to intervene as appropriate. So something of a hybrid. Here in 2021... Level 3 cars aren't commercially available yet, and neither are they legal for the public to drive on the UK roads. But by 2023, both of those things are likely to change. Indeed. The insurer is assuming that because the car is Level 3 only, and not fully autonomous, the Automated and Electric Vehicles Act 2018 isn't going to apply. So the insurer wants to know its legal position on that basis. Right. So let's start with the basics. It won't be controversial that the insured owed the pedestrian a duty of care. So the pedestrian will need to show that the driver breached that duty by falling below the standard of a reasonable driver. And, of course, that the breach caused the injury. So let's look at breach, starting with the user in charge, the driver. What's suggested? Is it that they should have taken control of the vehicle themselves? Yes, But how long did they have to react? It depends on what you are saying they should have reacted to. Very important point. There's a reaction to the sign first, and second, the acceleration, and third, the pedestrian. The incorrect speed limit flashed up for seconds, and similarly, there was very little time to react to the pedestrian stepping out. Right, so quite a lot of fact-sensitive questions here. What practically could the driver have actually done in time? And that sort of set of questions may go both to breach of duty and also to causation. There have been studies to show how long it takes a human driver to regain control in various circumstances. And let's assume in these circumstances it would have been around 25 seconds. On that basis, it seems pretty likely that even if the driver had spotted the pedestrian immediately, there's not much that could have been done to avoid the collision. And of course, if the hacked speed limit sign only flashed up momentarily, a few seconds, you said, Ian, it may be difficult to suggest that the driver was negligent in not seeing that either. But really, the interesting question here is the time between the vehicle's acceleration and the accident, isn't it? Agreed. 
The car had reached 70 miles per hour about 90 seconds before the accident took place, so there's probably something of a vulnerability here. I agree. 90 seconds is a very long time in this context. Now, this is, of course, a novel area of law, and it isn't yet clear how much the court will expect a driver, or to use the right language, user in charge, to intervene in a case like this. I'm told that the manufacturer stresses that the car is not built to drive completely autonomously and there are clear warning signs about this. Meanwhile, the driver says he lost focus, frankly, and then when he felt the acceleration became petrified. He says the car didn't sound any warning or request for him to take control and by the time he thought he should override the vehicle, that wasn't particularly easy and it was too late. Well, to a degree, a court may be wary of the suggestion that a human should be able to second-guess and respond quickly to the operation of a car when its systems are well-tested and intended to reduce human error. And perhaps some lapse in concentration is forgivable, perhaps even expected. Perhaps. But it seems very unlikely a court will be so generous to drivers of Level 3 cars. Agreed. Some predict that in order to achieve safety objectives, drivers of such cars will be required to maintain focus as if they're driving them themselves. Here, arguably, the driver just didn't need a specific warning. Plainly, the car was going too fast for the area. The key question is whether that 90 seconds gave the driver enough time to react and prevent the accident. And of course, we're talking about the driver of a level three car who should have been fully alert in the driving seat, both literally and figuratively. Right. So far, we've been talking about the driver, but what about the manufacturer here? There are multiple potential claims here. For example, the pedestrian might claim against the manufacturer in negligence or for product liability under the Consumer Protection Act 1987. Meanwhile, the driver, who's facing this claim from the pedestrian, might seek a contribution or indemnity from the manufacturer, saying the manufacturer is liable to this pedestrian for the same damage. The driver might also claim against the manufacturer in negligence, or under contract, or possibly under the 1987 Act. In practice, these various causes of action will be pursued in parallel. Each one has its pros and cons, and frankly, they're not all well-suited to modern technology. So, for example, the 1987 Act isn't likely to cover software issues, at least those arising from updates received over the internet, because those aren't products under the Act, when such updates may actually well in practice be the source of the problem. Agreed. Let's consider a specific point arising on these facts. The immediate cause, we're told, is the hacked advertising sign that prompted the car to accelerate. Now the manufacturer may say that this malicious act by a third party, who I'm asked to assume can't be identified, broke the chain of causation, meaning that the manufacturer just can't be held liable. I'm sure the argument will be made, but it feels like a stretch to me. A key issue here will be whether the malicious act could be reasonably anticipated. This may go both to the issues of breach say, of an implied term as to satisfactory quality, and also causation. Should the manufacturer have guarded against this kind of problem? And of course, you and I have both heard of it, which is where we got the scenario from. So my instinctive reaction is yes. For example, some manufacturers require drivers to take control above certain speeds, or at least it might be expected that driver engagement's needed if such anomalous speeds are prompted in a built-up area. 
The insurer can take away these points. First, autonomous vehicles will throw up novel issues. Statutory intervention can be expected, but traditional legal frameworks will still need to adapt. Second, level 3 cars throw up particular challenges because while automation is increased, drivers will still be expected to take control in some circumstances. The expectations of those users in charge are still to be set by the courts or perhaps legislation. Third, the accident may involve multiple parties, victim, driver, manufacturer and others we haven't considered on our scenario, like the company responsible for maintenance or other road users. This may involve multiple causes of action, which are themselves not well suited to new technology. Fourth and finally, establishing fault may well involve expert evidence at various stages, say on driver reactions and also on technical defects, and that would place a real burden on accident victims. And that's why the Automated and Electric Vehicles Act 2018 is so important. It gives the victims a direct cause of action against insurers, at least in the case of fully autonomous vehicles. It's then for the insurer to seek to recoup the money it pays out from others, like the manufacturer. But that's something we can perhaps explore on another occasion. Meanwhile, thank you for listening to us chat about autonomous vehicles. For references and citations, please visit us at techlaw.chat. And if you feel so inclined, please do rate us wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is provided for the purposes of general education and entertainment only and does not constitute legal advice. The presenters disclaim all liability for the consequences of reliance being placed on what they have said. The value of investments can go down as well as up and you may never recover the time devoted to listening to this podcast.